Welcome to the All About Setwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things setwork. That can include training tips, a behind-the-scenes look of what your instructor or trial official may be going through, and much more. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the difficulty that setwork instructors may encounter when it comes to expectations and the expectations they may be placing on themselves. <laughs> Before we start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dogsport University, and Pet Dog U. These are online dog training platforms that are designed to provide high quality dog training instruction to as many people as possible. We're very fortunate to have a client basis worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and eBooks that are all designed to help you achieve your Setwork training goals. So whether you are just getting started in Setwork, you're looking to develop some more advanced skills, or if you're interested in trialing, we have a training solution for you. So to know a little bit more about me, let's dive into the podcast episode itself. So in this episode, I had the privilege of having a roundtable discussion with several of our instructors who work with us through Setwork University about a very important topic, and it is the way that fellow Setwork instructors may be struggling with the concept of expectations, the expectations they place on themselves, the expectations they may think that their students have of them the expectations that the world at large sets on them, (laughs) and how this all can cause a number of issues. So in this roundtable discussion, we're going to be talking with Michelle Dorham, Michelle Ellertson, Cara Schutzner, and Michael McManus. So I'm going to allow you to listen in on that wonderful conversation. There's a lot of very good information in here. And the big thing to stress is that if you have ever been stressed as a setwork instructor, you are not alone. (laughs) So let's take a listen to that conversation. Basically, what we're trying to talk about is how we can help fellow instructors and colleagues cope with what we may be placing on ourselves as far as an expectation of how we need to perform, whether that be posting training videos, whether that be sharing our training advice, or even more so whether or not we compete, and how we can help our colleagues understand the difference between the expectation that we have to be perfect and then what the reality may actually be and how we may be actually doing a disservice to our clients when we assume that we have to be perfect. So it's a big topic (laughs) and I'm hoping that you guys can just talk about whatever piece of it that you like. There's a lot of colleagues right now that are very stressed out and they don't know what to do and they feel like they can't showcase what they can do because they feel as though if they did, they're kind of making themselves vulnerable, which I think is just a disservice to everybody. So whatever piece of this you'd like to talk about, you're more than welcome. Um, We'll do this in reverse order. So we'll start with Michelle Ellertson and then we'll go from there. Okay. So I guess first, is it weird that it makes me feel a little bit relieved that it's not just me who like struggles with this obscene notion that I have to kind of put up or show or, or shut up, you know, like that kind of idea. I mean, I've been teaching this for a really long time and I'm pretty involved in the sport and very secretly, I guess not that secretly, I'm pretty, pretty open about it, but I don't like competing. Like I don't, I get very nervous. I I try very hard not to let that leak onto my dog. I have emotional dogs who inevitably pick up everything that I'm feeling anyway. So it's, you know, it takes a lot to get me out there. One of the things that I think it's important to realize is I think that, that, that goal of perfection for us means more to us than it does for our students. I don't think when I don't come away with a first place ribbon, I don't think my students are like, well, 
why am I taking class from her? Like, I don't think that actually enters their minds at all. I think when something doesn't go right, as long as we're kind of candid about it. And personally, I try to be really transparent about how I take trial experiences and go back and build my training plan to support whatever just happened in that trial. Um, because I think that's an important skill for people to learn how to do. Take that event that just happened, better, worse, doesn't matter. Take the, the good out of it, take the bad out of it and go back and build your training plan to support the next event that you do um, and see what the results are that way. I think that's an important thing to just know how to do. I think it makes us a little more real when things don't work out perfectly. I, I, I think that's important. And sometimes they don't, they're dogs and we're humans and neither one of those ends are, you know, robotic in any stretch of the imagination. I'm going to make errors. My dog's going to make errors. That's okay. He's going to miss some stuff. That's okay. You know, I, 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 I think it's, I'm just, I'm so relieved that it's not just me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's good. And that's why we wanted to talk about this because that's I mean, good. I, it's a great topic <laughs> because honestly, I cannot tell you how many times over the last maybe year and a half, two years, I have myself been like, that's okay. I'm just going to sell the business. I'm going to retire. Let all the people who actually are better at this do this because you know, what, what good am I? And at the very same day, I would have a client send me a video of them doing some search and they're having the time of their lives. And they're doing that because of the class that I did. And it's not that my class is better than anyone's class is not the point, but I cannot tell you how many times I've been on that bridge, been on that ledge, we're like, okay, forget, it. I'm just going to re- retire and get rid of everything because I'm such garbage. And the thing is that there's a lot of people who feel that way. And it's sad at the end of the day. And it's common for me because I'm crazy, but I hope that other people are not feeling that way. And the thing that you pointed out that's so important is that by us sharing the fact that we are not perfect, invites our clients to know that they also do not have to be perfect, which means they're not setting themselves and their dogs to fail either. Going towards and trying to be the best you can is one thing. Trying to say that you're going to be perfect all the time, not going to happen. (laughs) So I think the fact that you shared that was actually really important. So yes, and the fact that we're just talking about it openly. (laughs) Trialing is such a, like, come on. Where does the relationship building and the bond with your dog come from? It comes from the training and the experience and the time that you spend together, not the trial, right? The trials for for you, you know, like (laughs) it it just, you know, putting more emphasis on, I love training my dogs. I love that time that I get to spend with them. I love it. I love everything about that. I just, you know, it's just the, this taking this leap and then the, then ribbons and then placements and then (laughs) (laughs) gives me the the willies. (laughs) I'm right there with you. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Ms. Michelle Dorham, would you like to share anything with us as far as how you may be able to uh, help fellow colleagues who are battling with this whole expectation, the stress of being perfect, all that good jazz? I'm not sure that this is helpful, but I am eager to share. And I was also relieved when um, you presented this topic because it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. I really super get that. I do like competing. I really like it. Um, I think that it's thrilling to put, um, everything that has been layered upon, uh, the dog's skill building and problem solving and the handling and the connection and the reading of the body language to put it to an actual test 
Um, and the adrenaline of the day, I really enjoy it. However, I prefer to do it out of town <laughs> because I feel I'm getting less sensitive to this particular thing. Um, but for several years, I felt a ridiculous amount of pressure in trialing among peers and possibly students being volunteers or on the crew or spectators and seeing me make mistakes was mortifying. <laughs> it was mortifying for me. And I do have to say that the original um, instructor that I started with was very, very focused on um, titles and placement and performance and um, like everything, you know, was spectacular. And if it wasn't spectacular, then um, it was, you know, the CO's fault or something. There was never any humility presented in the recounting of trials in those days. And I'm talking like very early. I'm talking like 2010 to 2015 early. Um, yes, trials were different then. Um, training was also different then. And so I try to go about it the opposite. I try and be incredibly forthcoming. I will show videos of mistakes that I've made. I will talk about um, glaring mistakes that I make, um, especially ones that I'm telling them not to make. Like with my younger dog, uh, you know, I'm starting over again and I have made the typical mistakes in trials with her already. And she's like dog number five. It happens. And so I try and approach it with utter forthcoming humility. Like you guys, I did the thing. I did that thing that I'm always telling you not to do. Like I did it because I'm human and we're all human and we get nervous and we make these mistakes, it happens. So I try and be kind of like the anti-performance culture and more about like the experience and the learning and the connecting with our dog. And having said that, I do still feel better out of town, but it's not nearly as difficult for me now with that early train being long, long, long in the distance. It's not as difficult for me now to participate in a trial as a competitor in front of peers or students because of that perspective that I'm sharing with them of this happens when we feel pressure and this happens when we're nervous and sometimes we can't access all the knowledge that we have and then use it to try and create training opportunities to address, to address those things. So it can ultimately be really helpful when they saw you do the thing that was dumb or when they saw you do the thing that was great. Like it can be a really important learning moment for them too. Um, so yeah, it's hard and I'm getting better at it, but I think that the culture that we, um, training competing can be really, really important. It's helpful to find some friends that 
just think that Nozerk is great and our dogs are amazing and that, you know, we all make mistakes because that that's going to make it more enjoyable overall for everyone. Perfect. Thank you very much. And that you we pointed out so many important things. And one of them is the importance of staying humble and also the importance of allowing our students to see us as not infallible or omnipotent, perfect beings, but that they can learn from our mistakes, but also that they can relate to us. And I think this is something that is missed by a lot of instructors who assume that if they just portray this persona of perfection, well, if your student is more on the reserve side and they think that you are, you know, the God up on the hill, they may not ask you a question because they right. think that you can't relate to them. So the fact that you pointed out was really good. Thank you very much. <laughs> Miss Cara, what would you like to add to this lovely discussion? Well, I was the only one in my state doing nose work. <laughs> For back in 2010 so you want to talk about pressure I I mean like I had no one to ask I did all the mistakes that we talked about earlier with Cooper who's right here with me and I mean I, I there were times that I was like afraid I was going to screw up my students because like there was no you know it was all getting started back then and um there's a lot of pressure and you're not alone. Uh, you're never alone. And I used to be so stressed out when I did my ORTs with my environmentally sensitive dog and my trials that I would literally like vomit in the parking lot. Like that's how nervous I was. And I've done like five different dogs and each of them are different personalities and everything. And I think what finally got me over that is I was putting a lot of the pressure on myself, even though people would tell me they're like, Hey, I love watching you as a team that even put more pressure. And then by making the mistakes, I realized um, my students kind of can laugh at them with me. You know, it's kind of nice to have somebody laugh with you on the same mistakes, but uh, don't give up and don't feel like you're alone. I mean, we all get to a point sometimes where we have burnout. Um, one time I had to take like two weeks off from just teaching just to recenter. If you feel that you're putting way too much pressure on yourself, Think about why you got into the sport and the emphasis is a sport in the first place, because I, I couldn't pass my NW3 with Cooper to save my life. Cause I, and it was whatever the last element was, we'd fail. And it wasn't, he failed me. We failed because I failed him. And Amy Hero gave me a big piece of advice. She goes, why did you start trialing all those years ago? And if it's for the ribbons and for the other stuff, you're in it for the wrong reasons. And I, I took a break. And after I came back, it was like we were a much better team because I felt a lot of pressure from peers of my other instructors that we started at the same time and they started passing me. And I think a lot of that is self-inflicted pressure that we give ourselves. So I wish I could be more like my husband. Maybe it's a male thing. He just doesn't give a rat's ass about anything. <laughs> uh, he does gun competitions and he, he does fine, but he doesn't ever put that pressure on him. Like I think sometimes females put a little bit more pressure on ourselves. So I don't know. <laughs> no, and that, that was very good. And I think the, the advice that you shared with from Amy is also excellent. And the fact that a lot of this is self-inflicted, that this is not a 
a requirement that if you're involved in set work, nose work, that therefore you must endure this horrible stress that makes you want to curl up in the fetal position and die. <laughs> like it's not a requirement. It's something we do to ourselves. But it is also something that can be perpetuated throughout the community. And it kind of spreads like an infection where it just spreads along where, well, that person's really super stressed out. And then the keeping up with the Joneses and everything else, and it just spirals out of control. So I think having these kinds of discussions can really help just again, talk about it openly and honestly, making sure people don't feel alone. And then just calling a spade a spade. Be like, yeah, if you're miserable, you have to change something. Something's not working. <laughs> and again, that very well may be like what you said, like just take a couple of weeks off to just figure out what it is you need to adjust so that you're not miserable anymore. Mr. Michael, what were your thoughts or feedback to this lovely discussion? Awesome. Um, I have a lot of different notes and you may have to help keep me constrained so I don't go way <laughs> all over the place. Um, I guess uh, there have been really good comments so far and some of the things I want to touch on have already been touched on, which is great. Um, the first thing I want to say is, you know, it, it makes me quite sad to, to know that people aren't able to enjoy nose work because of the positions they're in as instructors or, and uh, that's not, that's that's not right and you need to find a way to retake why you initially retake that ground and and find a way to enjoy it again um and and enjoy going out in public and competing and all that stuff because you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your students a disservice if you don't get out there and put yourself out there i think um on the flip side i want to go in a slightly different direction as well which is that um, I really strongly believe that trainers need to be able to meet certain criteria as trainers. Uh, you're, you're, you're saying that you can train nosework dogs and you need to actually be able to train nosework dogs. Uh, so if you're afraid, which I think a lot of people are afraid, they won't compete because they think they can't do well. And if that's true, then you need to get to the point where you can do well, that you need to go out and take lessons. And I think this, there's a lot of ego in dog training and um, a lot of people have this idea as like, if you're, you know, a pro dog trainer, you don't take lessons anymore. That's a re that's a really bad mindset. And I think it's not accurate either that all of the really great dog trainers that I know take lessons from a lot of other great dog trainers. And I take lessons from as many dog trainers as I can. I'm constantly taking lessons from other trainers and trying to improve myself. And I'm trying to improve myself because I make mistakes, because I fail. And those are totally normal things that this idea of failure being this bad thing that look reflects poorly on yourself is completely wrong. No, fail, failure doesn't reflect poorly on you. Uh, how you handle a failure can reflect poorly on you. But, but not a failure. And maybe this is just easy for me because I had a Siberian Husky and we just like kind of goofed around in nose work for a very long time and nobody really, you know, it, it was easy to fail because we failed so much. Um, but, but yeah, I think if, if you're afraid of your inability to perform, then you should take the steps to, to figure that out. And there are several steps you can take. One is take lessons, like I said. Another is what Michelle already said, which is, trial out of your local area, which is super important. And not just because of the pressure of being watched by people you know, but also because when you're in your local area as an instructor, people will kind of uh, bug you at a trial, uh, ask you for advice. Hey, how are you gonna handle this search? What are you gonna do? And that, that will take you out of where you need to be 
when you're trialing. So I, I actually have rules for my students when we travel in the same place, like, hey, you know, I'm your instructor after the trial, before the trial, during the trial, I'm not your instructor, I'm another competitor there. So, you know, we're friends, we can hang out, we can eat snacks in the parking lot, but don't ask me about the trial. Um, and that's just my rule for me. And it, maybe that's not the same for you and you might be able to do that, but know where your boundaries are so that you can, can appreciate that. But another one, which if you're really serious about, about competing well, um, I think one thing that you can do is um, trial a dog that's not your own dog. And I think this is hard for uh, some people, but it's, if you think about it, it's a, it's a lot easier. There's a lot of personal um, emotion attached to your own dog that can be hard to get past. And I've trialed a lot of dogs that are not my own dog. It's so much easier. It's so much nicer to take this dog and you, you can almost like absolve yourself of of the personal emotion of it. And just like, Hey, I'm going to take this dog and see what we can do in nose work. And you just relax and go with it. And then when things go wrong, you can say, Oh, things went wrong because we need to do this and this and this and training. And that becomes an educational opportunity for your students and for your classes and all these things. And this is, that's how I've used those opportunities. And I've learned a lot from trialing and, and failing specifically with those dogs. And my students have learned a lot too. So I've never felt like my students look down on me for that. Um, I've always felt like my students have appreciated that I put myself out there and learn things that I then teach them. Perfect. So just to piggyback on that last point that you made, Michael, if there are instructors who may have their interests piqued by that prospect, but then they stop themselves mentally and go, oh, wait a minute, that may have worked out for Michael, but now I can think of a couple of clients I may have, you know, they may have a dog I may be interested in doing this with. I go to a trial, we don't do well. And they thought client that dog would be doing well because I am yeah. running their dog. Okay, Michael, you've just made my life 10 times more difficult. And now the pressure is building on me more and I want to cry. What do you tell those people? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there are some things that you can do to uh, set the expectations appropriately and also not worry. So. Um, one is the easiest way would be to not make this dog a client dog. That there is a dog in your neighborhood who is neglected and sitting out in some yard or something, not doing anything and no dreams of being a nose work dog, no dream of being a nose work competitor or anything. But maybe you see them walking down the street and they know you're a dog trainer or something. You say, hey, you have a really cool dog. Would you mind if I trained it a little bit and competed with it? And they would have no expectations. If you brought them home a ribbon, they'd be probably blown away that there are even ribbons for this kind of thing. There's this nose work world is such a small thing. I think it's easy to forget that, that there are the, the majority of dog people out there have no idea it's a thing. Um, and uh, so that takes the pressure off completely because they don't care. They don't know anything about that. Um, now, if it's a client dog, um, there's a, there is some pressure there, especially if people are paying you to trial the dog. That's a lot of pressure. And I would say until you're a little bit more comfortable with that, don't do that. Um, I enjoy that. But my clients have very clear expectations. Like, look, it's a nose or trial. It's a dog. Anything can go wrong. We're going to do our best. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to put everything that I have into the training and handling of this dog. And, you know, if we do well, we do well. If we do bad, we do, we do bad. That's just all there is to it. And, uh, uh that's for people with a particular mindset. That's for sure. But if you, if you want to do it for your own personal experience, find a dog that has no nose work perspectives and um, take it completely under your wing. Don't charge them money for it or anything. Just do it for your own benefit. Perfect. I think that's a really great idea. Good suggestion. Thank you. So Miss Michelle Ellertson, now that you've heard some of the other things that everyone else had to say, if you were to hear of a colleague who is struggling 
Um, and again, it could be that they're just struggling as far as they feel that just for training, not even talking about trialing, that their students are not up to snuff with other students or that they themselves aren't up to snuff with instructor B, C and D or what have you. What would you be able to share with this colleague to be like, OK, well, these are some of the things you can do to help yourself to avoid that burnout, to avoid that second guessing? Is there any advice you'd be able to share? That just makes me kind of sad. Like, yeah, um, that people, that you would feel like that, like. Unfortunately, it's really common. No, I believe, I, I believe, I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just like, it's bringing up some stuff. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, it's so, I think everybody's kind of suggestions so far are exactly what I would say to do. The thing that hits me, I think, is an instructor worried that their students are holding a candle or that they're like, that is kind of like, oh, I, I, I don't, I think we should be very careful about putting our own stuff, our own strives for perfection or whatever is going on with us as instructors. I think we need to be careful about not projecting that onto our students or to think that our students somehow prove us. Like, it, you know, like I'm there for my students and I am going to do everything I possibly can to help my students succeed in whatever capacity they care to succeed in. And I certainly feel their struggles as much as they do because I'm in it with them. But me taking on their struggles is different than me putting my struggles onto them. Like I don't, I don't think that I don't think that they are interpreting it that way. I, you know, or else, I mean, let's if they really did feel like that, like you were not getting them to where they wanted to go, they would not be training with you anymore. They would go somewhere else, and they're not. They're with you. So that's proof to me that you have this relationship with them, that you're helping them through their struggles, that you're helping them obtain the goals that they're looking to, to obtain. Um, that, that's just the kind of, I, I, that's the thing that hit me about what the, about your question just now. I just think we need to be aware of what's my thing and what's, what's their thing. And I worded it like that on purpose, because there's a lot of people who do that, who will put their own personal goals, aspirations, whatever, and then put those onto their clients. And when the client doesn't reach whatever it is, then it's somehow not only their failure as an instructor, but it's also the failure of the client. So yeah. everyone fails. <laughs> no winner there. <laughs> yeah, no. So I'm hoping that people can make sure that they're not doing that because it's a really, it's a dangerous slippery slope. Yeah. Um, and it will force you to push your clients, human and canine, to make some really bad decisions. And where, so as an example, let's say you have a client who has a dog who probably shouldn't be trialing for any slew of reasons, and you deem yourself to be pretty good at working with dogs with behavioral issues, and they're able to do so in very controlled environments. Well, to prove your worth, you're pushing this team to go compete. Don't do that. It's not necessary. It is, in my opinion, a dereliction of duty to do that. You do not need to push your own ego onto this team to show that you got training chops to help this dog be okay. No, 
just have them be okay doing things in safer environments. And the fact that this happens way too often infuriates me, but it's also very sad because then it also is instructors thinking that they have to do that kind of thing. Well, so-and-so did it, I don't care. <laughs> like you don't have to make these kinds of decisions that are detrimental to dogs and handlers just because so-and-so did it. I don't care what they did. So what I'm, and I'm really glad with the kind of discussion we're having so far, and we're going to continue, is that sharing that everyone struggles with these types of things as far as what they may have for their own personal hangups and whatnot, but that we have to be super careful that we're not projecting that onto our students, because <laughs> that's really not fair. Did you have anything to add on to that, Michelle Hudson, before I move on to Miss Cara? No, no. Okay, oh, perfect. Thank you very much. That was an excellent response. I'm sorry that I hit you with that. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Cara, did you have any feedback? I actually, I have students that don't even go on to odor, man. Their dog's been searching for food for like five years. Um, I'm like, I'll take your dog and trial it. It'd be an awesome dog. Um, my projections on myself versus my students are totally two different things. And I mean, I tell my students, I'm just happy they're doing something with their dog. I mean, we live in a rural area. I know Michael's probably in a rural area now and their dog's getting activity. I mean, I can tell you driving back from where I was, how many dogs I saw out in this outside kennel. No, no toys, no nothing. So I'm just happy that they're doing something with their dog. And when they feel deflated because a search didn't go well, I said, well, what would you do today? And they're like, well, I took my dog and went here. I'm like, so you did something like, that's the whole thing. And when I feel deflated, I mean, like, I think Michelle mentioned that, you know, she felt like she had a good trial and then placed like 26 out of who knows what. I've been that last dog and had a good trial because I got to spend the day with my dog, even though it might have gone sideways, you know, halfway through the day. So I, I think the thing is, is just remember why you chose to do the sport of nose work. Why did you choose that? Um, because I know a lot of people did not do it for the fancy ribbons. So, um, but why did you do it? You did it for a reason. And I will say that my pressure, my personal pressure, once I went into the professional line of stuff and I never stopped learning either, I'm like, Michael, the stress from nose work trials is a lot easier to handle because no one is getting the lethal injection needle if my dog finds something. So, um, that has helped me in some ways, but it's also not helped me in some ways because I have a different type of pressure that is put on from people watching me and they'll tell me that. So it's just, just go enjoy your dogs. So like right now I'm watching all my dogs run around like crazy because they're all united again from our vacation. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all about perspective and keeping the important things front and center. Perfect. Miss Michelle Dorham, did you have any final thoughts about this? I have several swimming through, but in order to curate them, can you repeat the question, please? Sure. So basically, if you were to have someone who is, as an instructor, they're listening to this, and they're still struggling with this idea of how do I parse out any stress I'm putting on myself and not putting it onto my students? Uh, how do I make sure that I am uh, not attaching my ego to this too much? How do I balance all this expectation stuff and, and avoid all the issues that we've been talking about so far in the podcast? I would encourage that person to 
get some different friends, like a different peer group, a different class with possibly a different culture of priority, a group of people who just really truly love and look forward to every day that they get to go play with their dog or dogs, the opportunity to learn them, the opportunity to connect with them and how powerful and important that is for us and the way we feel about our dogs, but how important it is for the dog. It's, I think that that perspective comes with experience right? Like many years down the road, it can come with multiple dogs. And more importantly, it can come after you've lost some of them. And I know you know what I mean. Um, Like you can't get those days back. It's really, really critical to create the mindset that these days are going to be special and important and the results don't freaking matter. I have lost one of my nose work dogs and we did well title wise um, and occasionally placement wise. And that's not what I look back on. I look back on how much fun we had together. And if someone is having a hard time seeing that, seeing the connection and the days that will be ingrained in your heart for the rest of your life, then they need to go and hang out with a different training group and just go do it for fun or join a different class or go to seminars in another state or something and get a shift in perspective because you guys, our dog's lives are too short. They're way too short and they're way too important to think that any of it is really a big deal. Did you pass the test? Did you not pass the test? Did you learn? Did you get better? Did you have fun? Did your dog have fun? That's perfect. All, that's all that matters. Exactly. I think that highlighting the importance of perspective, even as an instructor, that if you are spiraling down into the, the drain of despair... <laughs> You need to change something. And it yeah. could very well be that, you know, that's a very good piece of advice of that. You may need to shift who it is. Even you may need to shelf some clients. You may need to, you know, if you have clients who are focusing on things that just seem to bring out the, the worst in what you are struggling with. For instance, if you have a stress point where they only care about placements and that is antithetical to the way that you want to train, which would be myself, I do not care at all about placements. If I have a client who's like, no, I need to have high in trial every single trial, I tell them point blank, yeah, I'm not the trainer to work with. I'm not going to be able to get you there. Um, but you need to, as an instructor, be able to make those boundaries, like what Michael was talking about and determine if something's not working, you got to make a change. And it very well could be like what Cara was talking about. Just take a couple of weeks off, take a break, but making that shift and making sure your perspective is correct is absolutely wonderful. So thank you, Michelle. That was wonderful. And Mr. Michael, did you have any final thoughts about this very large topic on how it may be able to help our colleagues? Yeah, I I think uh, I really like the direction the conversation ended up going. It's a good thing. I think uh, 
um, you know, it's not all about competition, uh, even though I'm very competitive. I love competition. I love competition for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is because it's an outside measurable standard that I can measure my, my, my skill against. And I, I love that part of it. But that certainly when we're talking about displacing your own baggage on your students, that's a huge, pro that's like absolutely not. I think instructors need to have the tools to help their students achieve their own goals. And if their goals are competitive, that's great. You need to have those tools, even if it's referring out. Like I love ribbons, placement ribbons. I love that. And I love trying to get them, uh, but I, I get that that's not for everyone. And I definitely try not to dump that on everyone. And if, if that's not your thing, know who to refer out to. And like for a lot of my clients, what the tools they need have nothing to do with competition. They're here for confidence building and enrichment for their dogs. And a lot of nose instructors don't necessarily have those tools. A lot of nose instructors know how to get basic level nose work titles, but don't actually know how to work dogs through extreme behavior issues. And that, that's the tool you need to add to your toolkit by taking classes and doing other, th other things. So yeah, uh, understanding what your client's needs are, like everyone's mentioning, is really, really important. And, and remember, it's your job as the instructor to help them achieve their goals, not to achieve your own goals. That's completely separate. Did you have anything to add, Michael, as far as how they would be able as an instructor to keep their own expectations in check, particularly in regard to training? So they're hearing you and they're like, okay, now I need to go out and train more, but I'm worried about training with instructors because now that's almost admitting that I don't know what I do know. So should I like get rid of all my clients now and go on like sabbatical for a year? Like, how am I supposed to do all this while still saving face? Yeah. You know, there are some people for whom that would be great advice to take a break. And, and I've even done that. Like I actually did that recently. Um, I would say the last six months, I haven't taught any nose work classes. I only focused on taking classes from other people. And my, my wife, Natalie, has been teaching all of the classes and I've just got back into teaching and it's reinvigorated and it's exciting. And that might be good advice for some people or not. Uh, you, you just have to know who you are and where you where you are. If taking a class from someone makes you feel like you've lost something of yourself or your own like face, like you're saying, um, you, you need to take a good, hard look at where you're deriving your ego from. Uh, I don't think that's healthy. Uh, I think taking lessons is a sign of ongoing learning. It's, it's a sign of a good trainer. Like if I were a student and I, you know, granted, maybe not every student thinks the way I do, but if I am a student and I go to someone and they're not taking lessons or workshops, or at the very least reading a new book, trying to enhance their own knowledge, uh, I'm super skeptical about taking lessons from them. Um, so to me, if you're not taking lessons, that makes me really worried. Uh, I'm only interested in learning from someone who's still learning. So I just want them to know more than I know, <laughs> or at least something different than I know. Uh, they don't have to know more than I do. They know something else. And, and just basically trying, what I'm trying to get out of all of you, which I have, is the permission for our colleagues, number one, you don't have to be perfect. Number two, you should be continuing your education and that it's okay to do so. And taking classes 
being seen as a student is not a bad thing. No one from the instructor police are gonna come around and grab your credentials and say, you're not allowed to teach anyone anymore. You are expected to do these things. It's good for you to do these things. It's good for you to be a student Try to remember what the experience is of your handling a dog, listening to information that may or may not be alien to you because it may be new, trying to decipher that, be able to tell your dog, decipher it and translate it and do it in the moment and it may not be pretty because that's gonna make you a better instructor because you're gonna be empathizing with your students, but it's also gonna give you more tools in your toolbox, which is a good thing. Also the ability to take breaks and to, see what is not working and that you cannot take whatever issues you may have. And God knows I have plenty. <laughs> you cannot then put that onto your students. It's just not fair. And how they are doing is not always a necessarily a direct correlation for your worth either. Should they know what they're doing? Cause you know what you are teaching them. Sure. But that only goes so far. And at the end of the day, you should be involved in this career path because you find it enjoyable, not simply because it's exploding in popularity and you wanted to add a couple bucks to your pocket because it's not going to work anyway. Last time we tracked, none of us are millionaires. This is a hustle to say the least. <laughs> so you should be enjoying yourself while you're doing this. So I truly want to thank all of you for participating in this because there are unfortunately a lot of people who are struggling for any slew of reasons. And the expectation piece is something that has been really difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. So I want to thank you all. Did anyone have any final thoughts they wanted to share before we key off? You can just raise your hands or whatever. And otherwise we'll wrap up. Miss Cara, go ahead. <laughs> I, uh, I want to piggyback on Michael's uh, taking classes. I tell people to other instructors, it doesn't have to be a dog class. Just take a class. Like I took a pottery class. I know nothing about pottery. Just because you got to remember what it's like to be in a situation where you don't know anything and having to be that student again, I think, too. So, you know, I, I take workshops and stuff online if you can't travel, but just take something different. So you're a student and you know nothing because that's going to get you back into why you enjoy teaching, too. So perfect. Excellent point. Thank you very much. Yes, Miss Michelle Dorham. Uh, on to what Cara said, the resources available to us as CNWI are vast. We have a staggering amount of online education available. If there are CNWI who are not continuing their learning, I don't know how they're going to get their credits, first of all, but I don't want to take from them that, like, how the ability to learn from everyone across the country. I took Michelle Ellerton's and Michael's uh, webinars for camp a couple weeks ago. And that was something that was available to the entirety of NACSW. But as, CN as CNWI, when you go on your portal, there are pages of webinars and knowledge that you can get from people that you have never heard of, you've never met, maybe the topic sounds amazing, or maybe it's somebody that you've always heard their name and wanted to hear what they have to say. So that could be also a way to sort of re-energize that perspective by going back into being a student, um, which is why I had said, you know, to get yourself a different peer group, 
to go and join a different class. If you're not in a geographic situation where you can just join a different class, I'm in Southern California, there's dozens of them. Uh, not everyone can do that, but you do have pages on the portal if you're a CNWI of learning opportunities. Perfect. Thank you for pointing that out. That is very, very good. And we are really, the one thing that we can say about the pandemic is that it has pushed a lot of things online. So there's lots of availability for really wonderful learning opportunities. So regardless of where you are, even in the world, because through our podcast, we have international listeners. Even if you're in a country where nose work and set work is still in its infancy, you have access to a lot of really experienced, knowledgeable people, not so less the people who are also on this podcast today. <laughs> so we were very fortunate to have all of them. I want to thank them all for joining us today. This was an absolutely excellent conversation, and I really do want to sincerely thank all of our speakers for participating in this podcast episode. It's important for everyone to recognize that everyone struggles at some point, and that these struggles and these stressors that we may be placing on ourselves as instructors is not unique. <laughs> so if there's anyone out there who is currently teaching work and you are stressed out, I really hope that you give this podcast a listen and that some of the things that were pointed out you find to be helpful. And if you're still struggling, please, by all means, reach out to either myself or to any of our speakers. Again, that's Michelle Dorham, Michelle Ellertson, Kara Schutzner, or Michael McManus, or other trusted colleagues that you know that you can lean on. The more that we can help each other, the more we'll be able to help all of our clients. And again, the whole point of this is for us also to enjoy what we do. <laughs> and to help the dogs, right? To help the dogs do this fantastic activity and to further develop the relationship they have with their handlers. So I do hope that all my fellow colleagues found this type of podcast helpful. We are looking into starting something new in 2022 that will be focusing on providing some resources that are specific for instructors, regardless of methodology, just merely a way for instructors to have some support and also a safe place that they'd be able to ask questions curate some thoughts, some discussion, some ideas, and so on and so forth. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have an announcement for that within the first few months of 2022. But as always, I want to hear from you guys. Are there any other topics that you may be interested in? Again, these roundtable discussions are very, very interesting. We are beyond fortunate to have the caliber of expertise available to us as we did with our speakers today. But if there's something you're interested in, we want to know. So we will be posting this podcast episode up on the Setwork University Facebook page and group. So you're more than welcome to post any questions or topic requests that you have there. But as always, we want to thank you all for listening. Happy training. We look forward to seeing you soon.